Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. All right. What you got there? Oh, it's a little bit second. Nice. How you feeling? Okay, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that, I'm glad to... That's done. <laughs> yeah, it's still like a little nerve wracking playing these songs because um, I just haven't had quite. I've been so uh, busy with. Uh, oh, hey. yeah, yeah. I've been so busy with touring, uh, you know, all summer and all year for the past two years, and then getting off that that cycle, and then uh, you know, with with the band, not not my own. Allison Chains. Yeah, and so. Um, I just haven't had enough time to get inside these songs the way I want to, you know, because you get right. back home and then you get into your your life and then I'm doing all the administrative stuff for the release of this record. So uh-huh. it's just been a tornado after tornado, but none of it involving actually sitting out and playing these songs. So I was right. just really glad I could get through them. So, yeah, like what Miles Davis said is, uh, you know, it's not performing, it's like rehearsing in front of people. That's it, yeah. That's a good attitude to That's have. That's it. I actually heard you say that in a live concert i was watching alice in chains on youtube and you said something like that to a festival crowd you said we're rehearsing up here exactly you remember saying that i i i can believe i said that yeah and, and i definitely uh yeah i hold i hold true to that uh that statement from miles as well you know yeah well it's a freeing way to think about it right i mean i'm i'll tell you what man for solidarity i'm in the same exact space you are Mm -hmm. i'm freaked out (laughs) because i'm going to fuv tomorrow my solo album comes out uh october 11th Mm -hmm. you know my manager's like i'm picking you up tomorrow and we have a podcast tomorrow it's like conflicting things Mm -hmm. like it's crazy and then also just like the i don't know the fear the fear like you know like i'm aware of fear Mm -hmm. and i'm like wow Mm -hmm. it's just like the fear of releasing something and just like what will people think and you know like what you're doing performing more uh stripped down yeah nothing to hide behind it's not in your maybe in your wheelhouse specifically yeah i mean mean, it's not not something i've done not something i've done publicly on this scale at all right so it's a whole new thing from that perspective and Mm -hmm. and the idea of releasing a record like that solo acoustic one voice one guitar for the entire record Mm -hmm. and kind of um you know like asking that of the listener you know hey i'm you know this is going to be this is what it is and uh you know can you dig it? You know what I mean? And, and you know, it's like, it's, it's, it, and it's not something that most people would have expected from me right. given my history. And that's exactly why I did it. But yeah, there's a lot of like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I have no idea. But, um, but yeah, people, uh, have been, uh, receiving their pre-ordered albums, uh, for the past couple of days and they're really digging it. And, uh, you know, the reception to the first single to Light Guides Me Home has been really great. So um, yeah. I'm really gratified by that. But but there's a whole other aspect, uh, like we were saying, of playing these songs now. Now I got to yeah. get into that place where you can really get inside the songs and and do it in a way that uh, feels authentic. Um, and, and that you just have to get to a place where you're physically capable to do it because the hand strength required to play an acoustic and and the the spiritual strength required to serve the songs properly mm-hmm. 
and do it like with you know none of the devices that are normally at my disposal like volume and you know velocity and a band coming like that yeah like all that yeah that really kind of rip roaring kind of thing you know that that i'm more known for this is more like no you gotta relax and you gotta and if the if the you have to relax in a different way and if the wave takes you you gotta flow with it in a different way it's a really interesting situation that i'm facing right now but i'm looking forward to it it's embracing the power of vulnerability right yeah 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 you know yeah. like are you familiar with brene brown that is mm. uh, kind of self-help oh, writer oh. she talks about the power of vulnerability yeah cool like how that's like a, yeah it's a power source i yeah. mean kind of when you lay yourself out there mm-hmm. it's like w- the world will catch you sort of thing or i don't even know if that's right but well i mean hopefully <laughs> that's a hopeful way of looking at it and uh yeah you know and this record is vulnerable as hell so yeah hopefully catch me world which camera (laughs) catch me (laughs) (laughs) we're catching you i'm leaning back catch me william duvall Mm -hmm. any relationship to robert duvall not that i know of but uh you know probably in some distant yeah planet yeah yeah (laughs) yeah another another generation of life yeah um and you're from atlanta huh I'm actually from D.C. originally. Oh, okay. All my folks are D.C. people. Um, and then we moved to Atlanta uh, when I was 14. Right. So a lot of important coming-of-age stuff happened in Atlanta, but not technically my hometown or place of birth. For me, too, Atlanta. I, really? I moved there after high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. I used to work at Clark Music. I used to go there all the time. Boom! Oh that was god. that was my last. Oh my god! Real job was that. I used cl- to go there all the time. Yeah, I probably ran into you many times. Yeah, I was. It. I was trying to think if we had run into each other, but uh, when did you move out oh of there, god. or are you still there? Well, I'm there now. I lived in LA for ten years. Uh huh. Um, so from 2000 to 2010, I was in LA. Okay, so we definitely uh, ran yeah, across man, like each other. Yeah, in the other. 90s or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. I, I was going there all in the time. 90s. Page. And, yeah, Page. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, no, I knew all them cats. Follow for now. Oh, all he's, David Harris is Dave an old, Har- old, Dave, old friend. Shout out David Ryan Harris. <laughs> David Ryan Harris is an old friend. Yeah. We were four track buddies. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to use a tape recorder. That dude is talented. Oh, he's great. You know, and yeah. and he's. He's really good at what I'm trying to do right now. Like, he's kind of like veteran, you know, sort of sensei at, like, solo acoustic performing. He's mm-hmm. He's been doing it for a long, long time and yeah. kind of uh, pursued that path quite a while ago. And, and now he just, God, he's got several records out and tours all the time doing it. It's yeah. cool. Really good. Did he work in that guitar, in that rock guitar store too? No, but he was like in the biggest band in the city, basically, or one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they were like extreme, yeah, they were extremely well known. They were they were running things for a minute. Which back one? Then. Follow for now. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like one of the local bands that was like gonna make it or make making it. You know, mm-hmm. like having a record deal and shit mm-hmm. like that. That mm-hmm. was, back then, that was like having a viral video. Is yeah, now right, or something. Like, right. <laughs> you know like yeah yeah so yeah but what was that first song you played what was that one called that's till the light guides me home yeah that's beautiful thank you thank you very vulnerable first single yeah yeah right about demons and stuff too yes indeed um yeah there are there there are quite an assortment 
Um, Assortment of demons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a few myself. <laughs> They're playing racquetball yeah, in my head right now. You know now. what I mean? <laughs> oh, dude. You have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> They're serving it up in there. Yeah. Uh-oh. One just won a point. Yeah, oh, right. No. <laughs> Looks like he's going to win the match. <laughs> but so... Uh, were you exploring? Do you do you write with Alice in Chains as well? Is it yeah. like co-write stuff? Oh sure, yeah. Sure. And are but with these songs, you just wrote them all on your own. Yeah, yeah. These are mine. Yeah. These are mine. Is there an overarching theme to it? Um, the songs on this album, one alone, the main sort of the prime directive was just getting a group of songs that would present well in the solo acoustic setting. Mm-hmm. But once you get past that, I suppose there there are some themes that, that come up throughout, um, like, um, well, it gets back to what we were talking about with vulnerability, because getting to a place where you are willing to ask for what you need, mm. you know, in terms of, seeking connection with with another person or with the wider world or with your immediate uh you know group of people or family unit or whatever being fearless enough to ask for that and and also um owning your own mistakes and owning the part of yourself that is your own worst enemy that keeps you from accessing those things that you're saying you want Mm. so i suppose that comes up that kind of thing comes up throughout the record and and a lot of the songs you know it tend it it makes sense because you know you do a solo acoustic record the subject matter of the songs is liable to skew in a more personal and vulnerable direction anyway so yeah i want to say why is that but it's kind of obvious yeah i don't know i mean i'm not you know i'm not some people have done other things with it very, very well, like Dylan and people like that, you know, that wrote yeah. protest songs and things like that that are fantastic. But I'm taking it in the more, uh, you know. More personal. Yeah. Has there been like some, a lot of, it sounds like you've been doing self-work. I mean, all that you just <laughs> said, all that you just said, it's like really deep and and kind of like hitting me. Like I'm going like, damn, I need to do this too. <laughs> <laughs> I got an assignment now. <laughs> I got an assignment from God right now. What? Uh, but have you been in like doing therapy and nah, stuff like nah, that? No, just, just my own, you know, just... sort of self reflection and and and, and uh, you know the things that come to you just through living life and through uh, hitting some of the walls that you hit and, over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, and and um, and we're privileged to to have a channel to uh to help us with these things just the the act of being a musician writing songs things like that is a huge help uh and it has been for my whole life and 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 uh and then the privilege of getting to do it for a living and and uh traveling and all that and 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 then having a having a family that you are trying to serve these two masters now whereas before I was all about whatever it takes to do the work. It's all about me, and me, 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 and the work and pursuing this thing. And I was really relentless. Um, and now it's kind of like I have to still retain that level of relentlessness with the work 
the artistic pursuit, but I also have to, I have more people to factor into my scheme of things now. And um, I think just that right there forced me to kind of come to grips with, all right, you know, there's certain things about yourself that you got to own. There's certain things about yourself you got to correct. Um, and you got to be there and serve serve uh serve the situation you know serve the situation serve your your uh you know well in my case you know i have a, I have, a I have a son i gotta serve his needs i gotta you know be there and be accessible in a way that um that i was never used to being is know? this recent this the son thing no no he's born 10 years ago he's 10 years old now and yeah. this has just been a 10-year journey of of learning how to how to do that, you know, how to do that right, you know, you got to be there, I mean, because I make the lunches, I do the whole, you know, I'm, I'm at every soccer practice and all that stuff when I'm in town, and, right. you know, I don't usually talk about that very much, but it's, but you talk about self-work, that would probably be the self-work, <clears throat> right? that would be the, the vehicle through which I have uh, done most of my self work because that situation forces you, at least in my case, it forced me to come to grips. It's like, whoa, everything is different now. Everything's different now. And if you don't want to make the same mistakes that were made with you and your childhood, you don't want to uh, become uh, something that you despise, mm. then you better get it together. You know, and you better figure this out, and you better, you better uh, do it quick, like now, like yesterday. Yeah. And just be there, man. You just gotta be there. And so there are times when the artist has had to get thrown in the back seat for right. a minute. There are times when, you know, oh, I got a, I got this riff, I got this riff in my head. And whereas before, I would have all day to just marinate on that riff go wherever uh, the next guitar is play it for three hours if i feel like it work out all the parts to the thing record a version of it maybe get a full-fledged demo of it you know mm -hmm. and that's my day that's my day well now my day might be okay I'm, we're driving we're on our way to the store we got to do this we got to do that i got to get you here i got to get you there and then I got this riff. Okay, let me just get it in the phone real quick, just so I don't forget it. And maybe dun, he's, dun, dun, maybe dun, he's dun. in the back seat. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. like just turn the radio down, get it. Uh, okay, all right. And then we go and do our whole day, which revolves around everything else but me doing what I used to do, which mm -hmm. would have been pursuing that idea. Now it's we do all this other stuff, and then you know, because when he's with me, that's what it has to be. You know, and and uh, you know, so that kind of thing is the work I'm talking about. For me, that was, um, that was, that's something that I think every artist uh, who is in my situation has, you know, had to deal with, or every working parent, you know, has had to deal with in some way or another. And I don't do the whole thing of sitters and all that stuff. It's right. like, nah, man, this is me and you, you know? Yeah. This is me and you when we're here, you know? And, you know, if he's playing the video games, maybe I'm working on something in the same room or in the next room, that kind of thing. Have you noticed it evolving your craft in unusual ways or surprising ways? I think that a song like Till the Light Guides Me Home would not have been written without 
having gone through that major life change mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would have been possible to write a tune like that you know and um, why not uh, just because again I think um, I think my denial mechanisms were so strong mm. when it was just me not even denial it's more like just the I don't give a flying fuck mechanism was Not way stronger nihilism when it, well just me pursuing what I needed and wanted to survive which was music and the pursuit of all things tethered to that that mm-hmm. was all I did and I think when you get and, and, and you have to see that in order to come up with that level of drive at something you have to get good at batting away all the naysayers and things mm. you know even people in your own family like you know telling you you're crazy and, even hey, yeah. hey you know <laughs> hey imagine that. okay okay when's this now okay it's time <laughs> to get serious now okay you've yeah. been doing this a while now <laughs> we got to think about grad school or we got to think about whatever yeah. you know practical things that are are completely reasonable to worry about and to uh to to talk about but like you you know i get i got so like from a very early age i was just very like no it's this mm-hmm. and it's nothing but this right you know and and anything that gets in my way frozen out xed out and so yeah i don't think i could have written a tune like to like because you know cuz uh i mean you know you can imagine certain things as a writer for sure and i definitely have done that but that tune is more out of real life experience of like okay yeah um this is exploring how i have tried to serve a situation and failed and i and i've got to come to grips with the fact that it has failed and i'm maybe not the only one at fault here but it's Mm -hmm. like but it's just it's just exploring the situation as a whole and taking a snapshot of it so I can look at the photograph over again instead of that I got this tune, you know. Right. What are the lines in that song? <laughs> or you don't have to say them if that's uncomfortable. No, just, you know, you people can hear them, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know. Okay. You know, it's just lots of, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, you know. Yeah. The family tree, all that stuff, you know. Yeah. I tried to I tried to build upon a dream born in our family tree. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. But all I did was break you down with my demons and insecurity that it's was the wicked, line that hit me it's a wicked sorrow that makes a man do the things I've done and I can't blame you for calling up the strength it took to run that kind of thing and I love that you know I like the part it's a w- wicked sorrow that makes me do the things I've done yeah well you're born with a lot of stuff or at least a lot of stuff accumulates can accumulate very quickly in your early life you know there's a lot of I mean, you know, with a lot of musicians, I'm sure this is the case, but there's a lot of grief that's being processed that happened, you know, decades ago, mm-hmm. right? And you still, you're working this stuff out and, and your whole life has been this process of working this stuff out. And in, in the case of, you know, musicians and stuff, it's working it out through the music usually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just so many things that you're dealing with and... um so that's what it is, you know. That stuff turns into a, a wicked sorrow, and you know, can, yeah. it can it it can be the driving force in your life, you know. Yeah, if you let it. Mm-hmm. Fear. Mm-hmm. That's the demon. 
Well, and it's a great motivator too. That's true. Tremendous motivator. Yeah. Tremendous motivator. I guess if you keep it in its right place and don't, yeah, that's the don't thing. let it overwhelm you. You have to do that. There's a there's some management that goes on there and that's not easy. Mm. That's not easy. And then part about a dream born from your family tree. Right. Is that um do you have musicians in your family? Is it No, I was just talking about more like, you know, family life. Mm-hmm. You know, and and just the generational continuity of it all and looking at your history and looking at the things you're proud of and looking at the things you're not so proud of and, and trying to improve upon those things and move the ball down the field, mm. you know, move the ball down the field. So, you know, they're just looking, it was looking back and looking forward at the same time. Right. And uh, trying to reconcile that with the present moment. Yeah. You know? Like, okay, this is where I've been. This is where I'd like to go. And, you know, and I've got to uh, chart the course right now and make some changes. Right on. Yeah, where do you, where would you like to go? Well, I just want the same thing everybody probably wants, you know, just some peace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you peace know? of mind. Yeah, and like, you know, and I want, I want happy, healthy lives for my you know abundance for my and boy and all that stuff i want him to have all the things that uh i want him to have all the good things i had and all the good things i didn't have nice yeah this life is a trip man it's it's i it still baffles me all the time like uh i would like to have a conversation with whoever's running things about it just be like <laughs> What's up, dude? <laughs> but, like, what is this? What in the hell? <laughs> what? This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it. It just seems to me like one big school or testing ground. You know, like every day it's like you know, and that feeling. Sometimes I wake up and I like feel like, oh no, I'm behind or I'm not doing my mm. best or I'm mm. not living up to my potential. Mm. And that, uh, you know. That sends well, a shockwave through me when I feel like that. Sure, sure. Well, and you know, the good thing is though, it's it's not too late. <laughs> right. You can always turn the bus around. Yeah, man. Or press the accelerator or whatever you got to do. You know, yeah. change the gear. Change the gear. Yeah. Yeah. So you you got a philosophy degree, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What what motivated that? Well, um, at Georgia State. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it was just uh, my folks really, really wanted me to go to college, and especially my grandmother or my well, both my grandmothers very much wanted it. But with my grandmother on my father's side, it was a particularly strong desire because neither of her sons went to college. My mm-hmm. my father and my uncle they didn't go, and I think um, she just wanted to have somebody in the family with the, with some sort of piece of paper and she just it was such an aspirational thing for people of her generation mm-hmm. and um so i just didn't want to let her down and so i thought well if i'm going to do it then let's try to do it in something that i could be remotely interested in because i just can't focus on something that i'm not interested in and i was never good at that in school and so I thought, well, maybe if I do this, it might 
I might show up to class and there's mm -hmm. a chance that I could actually walk away with the piece of paper that she wants. And I did. And I first thing I gave it to her. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she here, I did this and for she, you. And she now it, I'm going to go live my she, dream. And she put it on the wall, you know, and it was yeah. cool. It was really nice, you know. But, um, but yeah, that was why, because I just wanted something that I could uh, have a shot at, at, at being interested and engaged enough to show up. Why didn't you go into music school or something like that then? Because it just would have been the worst thing. Because I'm not a schooled musician and I hate school and I didn't want music to be associated with school in any way. Right. And what I do with the guitar and what I've always done with the guitar and all that stuff has been my freedom and I didn't, didn't want anything to encroach on that and I didn't want some instructor telling me how I should do this or that and the other. Yeah. It was never, I would have, it would have been the worst thing for me. And so I thought, well, at least with something like philosophy, I can get to, you know, the larger questions that um, just sort of inhabit existence in general. And I can, I can just sort of like, maybe it might, it might uh, perhaps like, fire my imagination in a way that could help the music but it it wouldn't uh detract from the music you know? right that makes sense yeah who's your favorite philosopher did you call oh, i don't have it you know Never all that stuff went in and out man <laughs> I mean, really no you know for the most part i mean look Kierkegaard i mean or anything no like no i never i never i never glommed on to like you know descartes that's my man you yeah, know like yeah, yeah, yeah. i never i never glommed on to somebody and was like yes you know yeah no it was more i mean i did i did most of the most <laughs> as, as with a lot of people my most valuable learning happened outside the classroom mm. um but um but I will say that one thing that was cool was toward the end of of, of pursuing that degree, I uh, I took a class. I st I I started skewing the specialization toward religion and spiritual practice, mm. and so I had some classes toward the end of my tenure in in college that that were really really cool, and um, this one class in particular that the the class was called women in religion but it explored a whole lot of things that uh that fell both within and without and and outside of that and um one of the things that was cool was it got into like a lot of the pre-christian uh cultures so that was really nice because i had been interested in that for a while anyway and um this was a a form in class like to explore that and get credit for it mm. so like one of my senior projects was to i i took it upon myself to go to new orleans and interview some of the voodoo kings and queens and that's fun that kind of stuff and it was really that was rewarding to because i would have done that anyway right i think i did do that too <laughs> you know yeah i used to live in new orleans for a second it's it, it's an amazing city yeah. and, and and it has like some of the most amazing American stories, you know, to tell. And so I, uh, yeah, I went there and it was cool to do it for, like I said, for, for college credit. Yeah. For like a paper that I was going to get graded on. So. To go party in New Orleans. Well, cause I could go, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I could go and it could be like, well, this is good for the paper. I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but it was great. It was really good. What does an interview with a voodoo person sound like? 
they were really great. I mean, the thing is, they don't let outsiders in. And so I knew that it was going to be a matter of earning their trust, among other things. And I'm not sure I ever completely did, but I mean, I, I did to an extent. And to the extent that I did, I'm honored that I did. But it was really nice to talk to those folks. And, and even if it was a little bit of a, a dog and pony show they were giving me, it was still cooler than most dog and pony shows, for sure. Yeah. You know, And um, um, there was a guy down there uh, named Joshua that I remember in particular. He was this really, really old man. Um, he was called Joshua Voodoo King, and um, he was super cool. The thing about voodoo is that the queens actually have most of the power. The kings are more, you know, figureheady kind of folks. And so, um, but Joshua was really great, and I got to know him better than anybody I talked to down there. And at one point, uh, after one of our hangs, <laughs> I was I was walking down the street. And I just left him. And so I'm walking down the street, and all of a sudden I'm getting ready to cross, and I see him across the street. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that's bizarre. Bizarre. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he, like, so I walk by him. He doesn't even acknowledge that it's happening. Like, I just, I'm sort of looking at him, and he's sort of looking at me, and I just go by him. So, I get to the next corner a good ways away. He's across the street again. No. I'm serious. Come on, the first time I could say you were hallucinating. <laughs> no, dude. It I was, mean, the second time. It's dude, like, I don't know what on, was going dude. on, but I'm just like, telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I saw. And I was like, I believe you. I was like, I was like, okay. All right. I'm just not even going to, I'm not even going to dig into this because I might not like what I find. So I'm just going to let it go, man. Wow. I let it go. I just let it go. I would be like, Joshua, what's up? It was was the last (laughs) time I saw him. Oh, really? Yeah. That was his way of saying goodbye. I guess so. I don't know. It was just, it was just a strange experience. Wow. That is really strange. Completely in keeping with everything that I was dealing with right then, you know? Oh, really? Like yeah, what? Just just, un- just exploring that whole culture yeah. and everything, uh, you know. Just digging, like trying to, trying to get those folks to trust me enough to talk about uh-huh. what it is, how they, they practice, and what it, yeah, and like, and just what the meanings of things are, and you know, that whole thing is born out of a lot of, a lot of terror, and a lot of um, just self-preservation. Voodoo. To, yeah, you know, just in America. In America now, in, in Africa, it was just it just it just came uh, organically, you know, as a way of of ex- just sort of organizing why you're here. And like most religions and spiritual practices, it's just a matter of this is how we are going to try to answer some really huge unanswerable questions, and this is how we're going to try to organize our society and give it a hierarchy and all that. But in America, it was more about something was being taken away from these people. Their fundamental culture was being taken away, and this is a way of preserving it and doing it in a way that was subversive. So they incorporated a lot of the Catholic icons and things like that in order to uh, do things sort of somewhat hiding in plain sight, you know? <clears throat> That's wild. Because so, I think of voodoo as like, you know, I think of the voodoo doll and pins and the thing, but yeah. there's, there's obviously more to it. Than way more, way yeah, more, yeah. way more. That's a old, it's probably the oldest spiritual practice that 
there is. Huh. Mm -hmm. What is voodoo then? Like what? I mean, I, again, it's just a way of, of at, at that time in the origins, I can only guess that it was a way of organizing their society, but moreover, it was a way of harnessing power. power. Yeah. 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 spiritual power yeah yeah yeah. but is it black magic or is it is well, see it, i think we put all that stuff on it because that's our that's our hang-up you know i don't well, even I'm just know curious. i'm actually not putting that on it i'm really just asking yeah i don't know like, i mean see, I, when I, you say black magic it's sort of like well yeah black because they were black people <laughs> no i don't mean race <laughs> no, but I'm just, no, no no i know you don't but i'm just saying like but the, the but that but that term it's sort of like oh black right. magic evil black evil that's yeah. hollywood you know what i'm saying it's like no no i know you weren't but i'm just saying like but but no but i'm saying like the history of of terms like that i guess what i'm trying from that place yeah i hear you but i'm trying to ask like is it dark or is it it's light and dark it's everything it's everything because it has this at least in my head it has like kind of a dark spin to it it's like nature it's everything but it's everything you know what i mean yeah it's everything light and dark and 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 it encompasses all things because that's what they had to do yeah that's what they had to do that's cool yeah are, do you have like a your own spiritual practices? Are you like a religious person, a believer, no. or non-believer? Or no, what? I'm fascinated with a lot of the rituals, but I, I'm more like a. I mean, I, any rituals I have, it's just more <laughs> just trying to get through the fucking day, man. Like, Word. You know what I mean? But that is like, what that's for. I know, but I mean, you know, but I don't have like an organized thing. Like, oh, I go to this church, yoga, or I do this, or like I do. That. Well, you know, yeah, sure, breathing and you know, stretching things like meditation. that. meditation. In a sense, yes. Yeah. I, I wish I was better at that. Well, everybody does, dude. I, I, even that's like good the, to hear. Yeah, even it's like, good to hear. You know, I can't. I don't, I'm going to butcher her name, but Pena Chodron or something mm-hmm. like this. You know, heavyweight Buddhist teacher. She talks about how when she meditates, and she's like a master apparently. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, half the time my mind is going. You know. Yeah, man. I mean, so it's it's it's, like, it's it's no joke. I mean, like uh, I went. Up a little bit. I've been to a few. Uh, ashrams before and and i I went to uh i went to this one and it was amazing because i would just watch these these people man like these ladies and these 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 gentlemen just like they could just sit down wherever they were man just sit down and just leave (laughs) right it was like wow you guys talk about goals man like you guys like I mean, it could be anything going on around him, you know, like the, the ashram was full of people, it was kids, it was everybody, you know, dogs and things. And they could just sit right in the middle of a, you know, be like sitting in the middle of the street here in New York and just sort of like, I'm just going to sit on this curb and I'm just going to, and they would just sit down and peacefully just, I was like, whoa. What's wild about that is they're, they're leaving by arriving because you know because <laughs> like know? you go to the point the pinpoint of this moment yeah, yeah and if you are really here right. and now like currently here now without the past and the pre and you know the past and the future yeah then you uh, you you're arriving but you're escaping because wow. you're not you're not you know it's all the past and the present and the thoughts that torment us yeah yeah the moment is always pretty awesome right or is awesome right Right. right it actually just is right. awesome like yes a being a point of consciousness in the here and now and it's just a choice for you to acknowledge that or not and and, and it's a practice of doing yeah. that over and over again like going right. to the gym and seeing how many pull-ups you can do right right you know yeah and yeah things like things like that i uh 
I suppose I'm whittling away at learning to get better at that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> were you raised with any religion? Yeah, my folks were Episcopalian, so we were like Catholic light. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Show, like, you could show up and wouldn't be quite as uptight, you know? And like, you right. could show up and they'd be doing it. It's a lot of the same kinds of um, pomp and circumstance with the robes and the whole thing. And, and the, the music is more sort of somber and severe, you know? It's yeah. not, uh, it's not, it's not like, it's not like the Southern Baptist thing, you know, particularly with black people where it's just like it's all it's all really like intense it's incredibly like there's a celebratory thing and there's like a there's a there's a letting go because oh you know we're just going to come in here and we're going to let all our troubles go and it's not like that it's more it's way more you know prim and proper it's just yeah but not quite as uptight as the catholic thing mm. the catholic thing is they take it they take it to 11 the 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 Episcopalian thing is more like seven. Oh yeah. You know. So it's the robes and everything, but but maybe they'll do like a folk song. Right, they're a little more laid back about it. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's cool. But none of that's hung on for you or or I still dig it, you know, in terms of like the I mean, look, it's your childhood, so you always cling to a certain memories and whenever I go to the church in D C that is our the sort of the family church, it's it's always a nice thing. Uh, in a way so many things have happened there you know over the over the years and we just we just uh had my grandmother's funeral service there a I'm year sorry. or two ago and oh she lived to be 105 she had a she had a, Damn. a, a long run and that's gonna that really bodes great, well for you my friend great she had a great run i i mean if i could do 105 that's wild if i could do what she did with the level of peace and serenity with which she did it, that would be an amazing uh, thing. But, but yeah, I mean, and you know, weddings, and you know, there's so many memories that go back through that church, and uh, so it's always a nice thing. Uh, what, a, what was her secret, man? Give us the secret. I wish I knew, and I don't know if she knew. She was more surprised than anybody that she lived that long. She couldn't believe it. She just would always remark on it, like I just, I never thought I would, I never thought I would get here. You right. But uh, no, she was she was great. I think, I think um, certainly part of her uh, amazingness was her. She was just a extremely loving person, and um, so that was certainly part of it. I think is just that mm. she engendered so much positivity, yeah. Um, and uh, that had to have been that had to have played a role. Definitely gratitude too, probably. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm. That's the kind of thing I try to practice more in my daily life, especially, like I said, with my my boy. You know, delicate situations and things like that. You know, but then there's the the severe sort of male energy, the dad energy that comes out, and I'm always reconciling that. But she's my model for the other way to be. So I really try to always skew it towards her because that way it'll probably balance out okay in the end, you know? Mm, that's interesting. She's the yin to your yang. Yeah, totally. What did your parents do? Oh, you know, my my mom, she was a school teacher in D.C. And then she left that behind because of the D.C. public school system and the 
60s and 70s started going completely to hell and so she saw the writing on the wall and saw that there was only going to be so much she could do she was always helping kids and doing things above and beyond and taking bringing kids home and all that kind of stuff and then she just saw it's like this is just overwhelming that the system is not letting us do right by these kids and it's not doing right by these kids so um and then of course you know the the pay was horrendous and so she got in she went back to she went to law school and became a lawyer and mostly but still mostly was trying to serve people you know family law <laughs> that kind of thing mm-hmm. like not the not the the fast track to the money train or anything like that you know it's more like i just want to help people and and uh and then uh well my dad that's a whole other story but my my but she remarried and my stepfather was in the fda oh, okay. and that's why we moved to atlanta oh really mm-hmm. This is going to sound like a stupid question, but what's the FDA? Well, Food and Drug Administration. Right. Yeah. I don't know why my brain wouldn't... Gra- I knew what it was, but yeah, it was one yeah. of those things like, how do you spell the word cat? You know, <laughs> like cool. when that happens. No, like- he, yeah, he was in the FDA and he was, you know, so he got a promotion and um, that's why we moved to Atlanta. Oh, okay. Were they located in Atlanta or something? Or? He, no, they were nationwide, but he just he got promoted to like district director, so it was the southeast region, and the and the main office was Atlanta. That's cool. I lived in Little Five Points. Oh, me too. Alta oh, Avenue. Oh, Alta. Okay, you remember cool. Alta? Yeah, right of off of Euclid. Oh my God! Yes, of course. Fucking yeah. Euclid Tavern, the Point. Dude, did you play I, the Point all the time? Dude, I played the Point. I had a group. <laughs> I had a group called No Walls. Yeah, I I remember No Walls. I that think. was my Wait. band. Yeah, I I remember seeing that. That was my band. We played the point all the time. Yeah, yeah. y'all were pretty big, right? You guys. Well, I wouldn't say big. We were we were definitely what we got classified as is ahead of our time. Right. <laughs> that was our thing, you know. Cause kiss we, of death. Yeah, no, right. And I I wasn't trying to be ahead of anything. I was just <laughs> trying to get my thing on. But like we um we were doing you know kind of this mixture of rock and jazz and world music. Mm-hmm. It was it was myself on guitar and, and singing it was a trio me on guitar and singing and and uh and then these two jazz musicians that i hooked up with that were amazing on bass and drums and who were they so, what are they now? uh hank Schroy was on bass and matthew Kelly was on drums mm-hmm. and so it was just like an amazing thing because i had like jaco pistorius and elvin jones like a white elvin jones playing with me unreal and it was exactly what i wanted and I couldn't believe I actually found it mm-hmm. and, and in Atlanta in like 1988. That was unbelievable to find that. And they were both at Georgia Tech. And um, Matt was in the jazz band and Hank was just, you know, studying engineering, but just also on his own time studying how to be the next like Pastorius meets mm. Mingus. And he was, it was fortune upon fortune. So we had this thing and we were, mixing all that all that music up and uh and the songs i was writing at that time were more like Joni mitchell would have written on hajira or something like that they were just it was more like this has no chorus i'm just right. gonna explore some ideas here Art and it's rock. gonna be really strong musically but now i was under the delusion that it was actually very commercial what we were doing yeah <laughs> and so i've been under delusions like you that know what too. i mean so the world i was like hey man next year at the video music awards i'll be duetting with Edie burkell it'll be awesome you know what i mean like completely off my rocker but like but we were doing this thing and what was interesting is like um jeff buckley came along a few years later mm-hmm. doing his version of kind of a similar thing to what we were doing and 
and um at least he was able to get further than we did in terms of like he got a pretty big deal from sony and he right. was able to really tour and put a band together and do all that stuff and and um and i thought he was i thought he was great you know but like it was and he played the point with his band yeah. I, the first time i saw him was at Eddie's Attic in yeah. Decatur. You remember that place? Oh, yeah. I've played there recently. I mean, in the last few years. So, okay. So he came to Eddie's Attic by himself. Mm -hmm. They had him on a, Columbia had him on a promotional tour. Right. And it was about five people in the audience, one of whom I brought with me. And that was the first time seeing him. Then the next day, he next night, he played on Trinity Avenue downtown somewhere. Went to saw that. There was a few more people there. And then like a year or so later he came back with the band and they played the point which mm. was sort of our our house kind of you know so to speak and for a while i lived right behind the point in uh yeah right there on uh what is it uh not mcclendon yeah maybe yeah actually i think it is yeah yeah and fellini's pizza was right there i lived right in those <laughs> those connie rose apartments right behind like in the cul-de-sac and stuff okay yeah i, lived I know right exactly there. where that I lived is right there yeah um yeah, I tell this story. Like the, I remember when Sean from Cat Power worked at Fellini's Pizza, right? Like, yeah, yeah. and she, before she played her first gig, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of folks. Came I used out to of work at Homage too, like for a minute. Oh, like, Homage Cafe. Remember Homage Cafe? Like took over mm -hmm. that place right across the street from, or right across the, whatever you call it, because it's not a street, but, right? You know. The thoroughfare. Thoroughfare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I used to cook there. Cool, the man. Homage, yeah. <laughs> right on. And then, then I got a job at Clark Music. Yeah. There it is, man. It's a small world. It is, man. It really is. That's interesting as hell, dude. So, yeah. So then, so then what happened after No Walls disbanded? Like, how how did Alice in Chains come about? I guess we could fast forward. To yeah, that. yeah. Well, that was just uh, that was because my band comes with the fall moved from Atlanta to L.A. in okay. the year two thousand. So you start this band comes with the fall yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, and then and recorded decided, our first album in Atlanta. Where'd you record, Jeff Bakos? I love Bakos, and I have made many records with Jeff Bakos, including that's so funny, including <laughs> including the vast majority of the One Alone album was recorded with Jeff Bakos. But, I love um, Jeff Bakos many, too. What an too. interesting cat! I right, he like, really like, is. Like he's an interesting character, very much so. For, for everyone who doesn't know who the, he is, he he had an amp repair shop right next to Clark Music. Yes, and in there was a recording studio. Yes, and it was like the kind of one where everybody went into and recorded. What's, I think they had a cassette too, or something. What's like, crazy? Like, what's interesting is I didn't know. I used to go get my amps fixed by him all the time, mm -hmm. and I didn't know. For years, I didn't know he had a recording studio there. Did yeah. not know it at all. It doubled as and a recording studio. I did not know. I would always go into the amp repair part. Mm -hmm. Never knew all the other stuff going on yeah. back there and behind the scenes. And Allow so, me to show you in this room. So, <laughs> so I'm looking to, to 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 make a long story short. I found out uh, some years into Comes with the Falls history, and we ended up making. Uh, Beyond the last, the, our third full-length studio album and an EP at that studio when he had it on Ponds, and it was one of the most incredible experiences recording ever. Like a lot of, a lot of really amazing magic happened in that studio. But it's true. But I did not know until then, and I'm so glad I found out. And and in the One Alone album, again, the bulk of that album was recorded there as well in that same building. Now he's moved. He's in Are you five serious? Now. The new mm -hmm. album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recorded with Bakos? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Yeah. 
Dude, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. So he will see this podcast probably. I hope so. I hope so, Jeff. Yeah. No, I love great. you, miss you. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, that's he's, wild. No, he's great. And Man. There's so many things. What's his studio like now? Well, now he's moved to Little Five Points, so it's a different building, different uh-huh. neighborhood, different whole different setup. But, yeah. you know, I mean, mostly it's down to him. It's down to his whole way of being and, and kind of was when i that. recorded there anyway yeah, like for he, sure yeah but I, but the but the ponce building had so much magic to it i don't i mean mm. there's something about that location and the shape of that room that i see I, I really love now it's a freaking at&t store they just <laughs> it's like oh, I see. oh no but yeah doesn't have the same i, I so wish that booty. um i just Ooh. wish that like that was one of those things. Like, if I'd had the dough, I would just been like, because you know, when he had to move, it was because they raised his rent and they were they were trying to get everybody out. And that was <coughs> you think those, little five points would be more little, than ponds? Little five points was it, it, that's a cool room too. But there's something about the shape of the the room yeah. in that building, and that, there's something the about AT&T that AT hangover. <laughs> there's something <laughs> about that neighborhood too, and the fact that you just had like so many things for the for a hundred years or more that have transpired right in stone's throw away from there, you know, mm. like, um, you know, like a lot of the, the, like a guy like blind Willie Johnson would be playing right on the corner a couple blocks away or whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. for change, for spare change. And you've got like, you know, you've got like, uh, street walkers and everything, mm-hmm. you know, and occasionally you'd hear an argument taking place between, <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Some, some folks in the demi monde as you're as you're trying to get a track you're getting yeah. vocal track and it's like wait a minute i'm picking something up and it's somebody screaming at somebody outside the yeah door. well like the te- yeah. like my, the manager at clark when i worked there he used to do this joke like where you'd be outside smoking like and there would be street walkers going by then he would open the door real quickly and just go hey and then close the door and it looked like you shouted at them and you yeah. were just there going like oh pre- god so that, horrible <laughs> yeah it was horrible like, yeah that great was a, way to get into a situation yeah. that you might not be able to get out of right man. that's that, terrible those kind of shenanigans oh all the my time. god well yeah. but yeah but but so to get back to the thing i comes to the fall first formed <laughs> yeah. in late 99 oh, okay and it was a period where i had a little bit of growing pains in terms of like where i wanted to go as an artist and and how to reconcile that with the music industry at large like how to I'd had some artistic success, you know what I mean? Going back to the punk rock days, like mm-hmm. first generation hardcore, like Neon Christ, all that Neon stuff. Neon Christ. Like, that was all good. No Walls was great, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there were there were things that I could be proud of as a musician, but nothing that was like, you know, oh, I could make a living off this. Nothing nothing like, you know, for instance, we were talking about Follow For Now, like nothing R- like that, where, right. where major labels are coming and whining and dining us. We were too yeah. weird. Like Vernon Reed brought No Walls to New York a couple of different times, took us around everywhere. And this is when Living Color was one of the biggest things going and couldn't get a, it was crickets. <laughs> we'd, yeah. we'd play everywhere around here, man. Like everywhere. We played everywhere. And we'd try to have all these industry people come down. They'd all come down and just be like, uh okay why'd you call yeah. us <laughs> yeah you know i mean like it was the same cats working the warrant record you know and this is pre-grunge man this yeah. is even like pre so all that stuff 80 so something this is like 1990 oh, but like so funny you know and so we were just we were ahead of the curve like i said a couple years later buckley would come along and and do okay but but like but so i'd had all these experiences like that 
and between that and as we were also talking about earlier just adulthood encroaching you know mm. and and the family saying okay now it's about don't you think it's about time you oh, it's been really nice and uh, we've put up with a lot congratulations we've put up did. with a lot <laughs> so i was at this place where i was like oh god oh no you know and so right around then after no walls broke up in 92 it started hitting sort of a tipping point of like this is really getting heavy like how old um, were you? I was, you know, getting like 25. You're you know, so like young that, still. That, that like, age where you're, but see, but at that I, point I it felt like, oh God, I've missed the boat and oh no, and I, I had I'm dead. And, I had that same and, thing. And, and my folks are all just like, you know, you're the family joke for like 10 years, you know, since you were like 15, mm. you've been the family joke. Like, oh, is he still playing music? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like cousins and shit mm -hmm. asking and you, and you miss family gatherings like, you know, oh, he's playing a show in Knoxville. Oh, he's playing a show. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I was like, all right, okay, all right, I'm going to show you fuckers. All right. And so right around that time, uh, David Harris called me. And um, and he was like, okay, I'm working with this gal who just left Arrested Development, this singer Dion. She's trying to do something on her own. And, you know, and uh, we're going to try to see if we can get it happening. So... And those are his exact words, Dion by the way, because that's what right. he talks right. like. Right. <laughs> Not at all. He doesn't talk like that yeah. at all. But yeah, it was Dion Ferris. And so yeah. he called me up. He's like, it, it, she said she wanted to work with me is what he said. He's like, she wants to work with me. And I said, well, if I want to work with you, I, I want to do this with my favorite writer, William Duvall. And so he called me up. It was really great. And and because um, I was at that point, I was feeling like, oh, God, maybe I am nuts. You know, like, Jesus yeah. Christ. So. I'm at that I, point again, basically, <laughs> too, by the way. Like, I, I go back to that point sometimes. I, it, 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 there, are the, there are these moments of reckoning, right? You know, uh -huh. and you just have to push through them because yeah. I swear that the next, the next thing is coming, believe me. Because uh, yeah. in my case, it was like he called up out of the blue like that yeah. with this thing. And, and there was this other cat, Milton, uh, Milton Davis, and the three of us got together and we were going to try to do like a Holland Dozier Holland kind of thing where we were going to try to, you know, a songwriting collective and we were going to, you know, just write tunes and give them to people. And so, but Dion was the one that was right there at the time. And so, uh, so we started churning these things out and I was ready for a big change because again, I had been in artiste land for a long time. That was my whole period as a musician pretty much was doing stuff that people either hated or you know like the authorities thought should be stamped out like with hardcore or you know? ignored or it was just like this is just too crazy you know and and uh you know critics liked it or musicians liked it but not anybody else and so i was in this place where i was ready for something really different and this was really different so we started turning out tunes for dion and somehow in the mix of all that milton and i uh came up with this tune i know mm -hmm. and you know he'd had the bulk of it or the seed of it the 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 main germ of it and we finished it together and we recorded it on david harris's four track mm -hmm. the next thing this girl signed to columbia records right in the same promotional push as buckley is mm. getting like in that same cycle of new artists like mm. columbia is trying to make the thing and uh i know it's the first single and it went huge right and so all of a sudden, I went from, okay, now, you know, to, 
I had the biggest record in the fucking country. Right. It was everywhere. Like, you couldn't escape it. I remember. She yeah. was everywhere. The record was everywhere. The song was everywhere. I had that single. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it was like, and it was, so I was like, and, and my father died right around that time, mm. which was also a heavy thing too. And he died with a lot of regret and sort of feelings of failure and things like that. Actually, he died right before the onslaught of Dion, so I wish he had lived to see it, but um, maybe it's meant to be that he didn't. But but it was one of those motivating things, like you talk about fear being a motive and all that stuff. It was, mm. like, it was like I went to his grave, put him in the ground. It was raining in Washington, D.C. He got buried with the military honors and all that because he was a soldier and never quite recovered from any of that stuff. And it was like, I'm going to move the ball forward. I resolved right then and there. Mm. This is it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna show all these motherfuckers somehow, some way. I don't care what the fuck it takes. This is gonna happen. Mm. A lot of things are gonna happen, but it starts now. And within nice. a year or two, it was just like, boom. You know, she's on Saturday Night Live. She's on David Letterman. She's ever. You know, she's everywhere. And so I was like, okay, cool. This is good. This is buying me some time at least. Right. But I didn't want to take it to like. You know, because people were telling me, oh, you could just, you know, this could be your, you could be could a be writer. thing, yeah, you know, yeah. and you could go and network and do all, you know. I was like, nah, nah, you know, like I went to the ASCAP Pop Awards and things like that and mm -hmm. saw what that could look like, you know, just saw like yeah. what that networking scene, the writer scene could look like. And I was like, yeah, no, this ain't, this ain't it, man. Um, so what I did was I learned how to make the records I wanted to hear. Mm. So I kind of started this group, Madfly, and we there was a studio right across from our apartment that Clay Harper owned called Casino. It was right there. The guy who ran Fellini's Pizza. Mm -hmm. and he had a little 16-track studio right across the parking lot from my place. So I was like, this is perfect. That's going to be where I learned how to make records. And I learned with Madfly how to make the records I wanted to hear. And then... The, the the songs the were strong but the whole thing was not right i was i was coming from a place of insecurity and i was like i can't come from that place and do music i can do music that sounds good and music that might find some success but if it does i'm screwed because it will not be the authentic me it will not be that i can't come from a place of insecurity the where i am now so i need to figure this out madfly was me figuring it out and then did you know Brian King? Not offhand. Okay, he was in in that general area. He, he may have, I mean I may too. he may have even been it may be one of those names that has yeah evaporated over time and if so I'm sorry but That's uh, all right. That's all right. But like but like the whole thing for me was get back to the place where you are doing stuff that like you just know. You just know. You know. And so how did the you transition, do that? how did you do that? Well, working it out, making two records with Madfly, going through a bunch of changes with that. You know, we had management, we had somebody like it was a radio promo <clears throat> guy managing us and got some songs on the radio. All this stuff that was just like, oh, this could bode well. Um, made a deal with Joan Jett's label, Blackheart, to distribute our record and all this stuff. Because I was even back then, I was like, I want to I want to own the master. I want to start the label and all that. So that was the label. The beginnings of the label was with the second Madfly album and doing the thing with Joan Jett to distribute. But after that came out, I knew this had to evolve and I had to, there's more there. So 
Madfly essentially turned into Comes with the Fall. Okay. We changed bass players, and I was sitting in that apartment in Little Five Points like, what does the truth really sound like to me right now? And the truth is not Madfly, it's not. And so found the truth, wrote these tunes in that apartment. We recorded them. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is something else. Like it has to be called something else. And so it was Comes with the Fall. And that record, we took that to L.A., and we arrived Valentine's Day 2000. And one of the first people we met was Cantrell because um, a mutual friend turned him on to that record. I was wow. like, you have to listen to this. You have to. Finally, when he did, it was just like, all right, goddamn. Like, I've had, he said he had like a couple of things like that where it was like he just didn't want to listen, didn't want to listen, didn't want to listen. And then he did, and it was just a revelation. He was like, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and our record were two records where that happened. That's and wild. So, he what met is, me like, at the but the thing you said about like what does the truth sound like right yeah, yeah, now? Yeah. I I like that. Well it's that was the question at the time and and I knew that Madfly had good tunes. Right. But that was that was the extent of it and that's not enough. Yeah. And so And you got it on this one. Oh yeah. Comes with the fall was me falling in love with music again. Wow. And it was like I'm ready to die on this hill. If nobody understands this or if it gets the whole ahead of your time or if it gets whatever it gets, like whatever it gets, I'm fine. Like if, if, if I'm like, I'm really ready to go down with this shit. What about it was like that? I just, there's the whole thing. It was like, it, sometimes things line up, you know, where you access the part of yourself that can tell the truth un, as unfiltered as it can be. And, also, I had the sonics down. I knew how to make the record sound like I wanted it to sound. So okay. it was just going in with a whole vision and realizing it, like, and coming out with it like, yep, there we go. And so we went to L.A. like that, and we hit the ground running. We played everywhere in Hollywood, and Cantrell started playing with us. He, like, would hang out with us all the time, and he'd come to our apartment all the time. We were all living together in this mm -hmm. two-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood, and he was there every day, and, like, he would... You know, so he asked me to teach him how to play a couple of our songs off that record. And then he was That's playing wild. those two songs with us every time we played in Hollywood. He would show up <clears throat> and you'd see him like right before. Like sometimes we wouldn't even know what time we were playing. You know how it is in those clubs, you know, it's like, you know, five bands playing. You don't know what time. Yeah. I swear, every time we were getting ready to hit the stage, <laughs> he, was there. he would be pacing back and forth. And he'd get on stage at the end of the set and play the two songs with us. People thought he was joining our band. What you know? were were you, were you an Alice in Chains fan at all? Yeah, sure. I had those records like everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. But were you asking yourself like, why is this guy hanging out? So no, much? I knew why because it was fucking badass. <laughs> oh, because you had hit it. <laughs> oh my god, I knew, and I knew, like when you know, you know. Like right. we hit the ground hard there. We were like, we ate every band for fucking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Wow. No hesitation saying that none. Wow. And the thing is, most of the bands there were projects and they were they were playing showcases yeah i was like i don't know anything about that i don't play fucking showcases i'm just not a project this is a band mm -hmm. we're a family this is what we do we play gigs did you put that record out the first one yeah yeah, yeah how yeah. did it do it did was mostly like we played we played we sold out once we started touring mm -hmm. you know what i mean but like it was mostly about this exists yeah. like put it out like the way i'm putting the one alone album out that didn't exist yet right like you know what i mean there were no like distribution channels or anything did it you was, get a deal for it no, no 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 because as usual we would go to these meetings you know we'd be playing somewhere and somebody oh so-and-so from capital wants to talk to you or so-and-so you know, 
we'd go and it would just be a fucking joke, man. Yeah. I was not prepared to debate what my band was going to do or how I was going to do it. I just was not hearing it. I was not having it. So I knew what the score was. I saw all these bands. They were there. Their projects, playing showcases. Well, some of them got signed. And you know what? Maybe, maybe 5% of those got to put out records. None of them made it. None. Mm. None. So it was like, I'm not going to sit here and, and go through this whole freaking charade. charade. I'm not going to do it. Right. I know what we are. I know what we have. And I will figure this out. And if it means we never get the, you know, the brass ring or whatever, well, then so be it. Like I said, I'm prepared to die on this hill. This is it. So we did that first record. And then Cantrell at the same time was finishing up his uh, solo record, Degradation Trip. And so, you know, we were, we were really getting to know each other around the finishing of that record. So we were hearing those songs all the time. How long had you been friends at that point? I don't know. This all happened within a few a months, year? a year. Oh, no. oh, yeah, okay. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the whole thing happened really quickly once it happened, but like, right. we were listening to the, that record while we were listening to our record and while we were, I was, we were, uh, I was writing tunes that would end up on the second Comes With Fall record, The Year Is One, while he was listening to Final Mixes of Degradation Trip and trying to find somebody to put it out and um he he at first couldn't find anybody that would put it out and so once 2001 hit he wanted to go and play some shows and i think he really missed having a band right. you know what i mean and that whole all for one thing that we had and so and robert Trujillo and mike borden who played on degradation trip they weren't available because they would with Ozzy Osbourne at the mm. time and Robert soon would get asked to join Metallica so it was they just weren't they weren't available to really tour and 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 there was no money he was just going to tour out of his pocket basically and so it was a ready-made situation because we were there we're like this fully fledged band just killing everything in our path and real hungry and real just like you know give me the bone I'm going to shred the fucking bone mm. and like so he was like you guys want to go out? And we're like, fuck yeah. You know, so we ended up doing double duty mm -hmm. with him. Like Being we'd his come band out, and yeah, we Yeah, we'd do the whole thing. And so it was cool, you know. And, and like I said, I finished up the tunes that would become the second record. On a break from touring, went in for three days, recorded all those, put it out later that year. You know what I mean? It was like that. And then it was like, okay, we're still touring. It's 2002. We're still on the road. Don't quite have enough time to go in and you know do a proper studio record let's just do a live record while we're at it let's just do a live dvd and let's make it 5.1 surround sound and triple the budget and put myself so deep in the red i'll never get out and like that's what we did so we did this succession of of work in a couple years that was really like yeah it's pretty pretty badass and, and developed a friendship no yeah, well, I'm talking about the my, I'm talking about my band, but yes, in the, yeah. in the course of that, definitely developed a friendship with Cantrell as well, because we were, you know, you're living right on top of each other for years at a time on the road in a bus. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and then, but when you officially joined Alice, that that was uh, something happened with like a sound check on Ann Wilson or something like that. Oh yeah, well the is first that, thing is the that first, a true story? Yeah, no, that's a true story. The first thing we did uh was a uh 
VH1 Decades Rock Live right. TV special, and Hart was being honored. Okay. So the Wilson sisters were being honored for their career, and they wanted some special guests to be a part of that. And so they invited Alice, and it, at that time it was such a newly reconstituted thing, like it just happened. And so um, we all went, you know, but it was kind of this thing of even the Alice portion of the program was going to be a little bit of an all-star thing. And so Phil Anselmo came and um, sang some stuff, and and then I sang some stuff, and and it was like that was going to be the program, and we weren't sure what was going to end up in the television show once it was all edited down. So mm -hmm. we did this whole show, and so it's on television. It's in, in an arena full of people in New Jersey. It was you know, pretty high pressure, intense kind of thing. And um, during the during the uh, camera blocking rehearsal, um, the big talk of the town was Ann Wilson was going to sing Rooster, and it was just, I guess a tune she had done with them on stage before and all that stuff. So that was like one of the big things. And but she didn't come to the camera blocking, so I was there on the set and they were just like would you would you sing it and so in the middle of me doing it Ann and Nancy show up and they're like watching the wings and afterward Ann was just like you gotta do that song you gotta do it you gotta do it I was like oh this is your big showcase it's your big no you gotta do it so it was great because it was a very um that ensured I was going to be in the program and that ensured that the newly reconstituted Allison Chains was going to get like this sort of proper uh intro to the world you mm. know like uh, in 2006 and it was it was great it was really great is that yeah. when jerry jerry decided to have you be in the band or was, no it was it, it was, was already, before it was that oh, it was we already had shows booked and things oh okay yeah yeah we already had shows booked this was just like the first thing and then we did yeah. some club dates and then next thing you know i'm on stage in portugal in front of thirty thousand people it was nuts and how uh What's that experience like going through all that you've gone through and to like be, yeah, in this situation? It was sink or swim for sure. It was yeah. very much like, it was very much like, um, well, this is not what you, this is not how you expected it to get served up, but right. here is the dish. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, it's not quite what I ordered, it's like, but it's, it's pretty like, fucking cool. It's like, make it happen. Become yeah. the person that you wanted to see, become the person that you wanted to see and just be that yeah. and do it right now because you got 30,000 motherfuckers in Portugal bouncing up and down. Mm hmm because you started jumping up and down. So now you just have to be it. You got to be the thing. And I had not been used to working a stage with just a microphone or any of that. I was always more of a musician, musician guy. And this was like, no, you got to be like a front man. That's a form of voodoo just to bring it all back around. No, it is. It you is. know what I mean? Oh, it very when much you, is. When you like jumping up and down and the other people, are, it's like, it is kind of voodoo-esque. There have been countless moments over the last 13 years now so many that i couldn't even begin to remember all of them or even a fraction of them but i remember that one just because it was one of the first ones and right. it was just like such a vivid moment of like this is now in your hands now it's up to you what you do with this yeah. and you have to 
you can't show any kind of fear or trepidation or anything like that because one that's just wasting everybody's time and two that's what too many people want to see and not going to give them satisfaction and you know and it's just like so it became this whole kind of the style of working on stage in that situation came out of just uh doing it yeah and it came out of just the thing of like you got to confront thousands of people with a certain stance you know and it has to be very much like this is what it is Mm -hmm. this is a new sheriff in town take it or walk away right not you know there's so much noise around that time that it easily could have run a motherfucker off their own stage but I was never going to let that happen. Was there a lot of uh, resistance and stuff like that? Oh, my God. I mean... Was it crazy? Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Bananas. But, I mean, you know, whatever. It's fine. It worked out. And it worked out because we made it work out. What was the most bananas form of resistance? I don't know, man. You don't want to go there. No, it's just... You get everything. You get every you get you get every kind of threat. You get every kind of everything. Threats, you get you huh? get everything. You get everything. That's wild. And it's just like whatever, man. Yeah. It seems like embraced though. Like you've been no, embraced. No, no, look, you're, we, like you're our our numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I mean and and you know, yeah, the numbers speak for themselves all the way around. So the box office, the 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 dough the the whole thing it it and that did not happen by chance right the promoters were one step away from laughing at us at first in oh, 2006 really? oh yeah the guarantees wow. were very much like yeah whatever and yeah. it was very much like okay once again got to show these fuckers man yeah you know you got to And now you're on a whole you're in a similar situation now with this whole new like uh, solo acoustic. Yeah. It's like a whole different yeah. way of going about oh, God, a yes. different stance. Yes. I tend I don't know what it is. I'm putting myself in these situations for well, some reason. I'll tell you I have a theory as to why because it's like we have to like push ourselves out of our comfort zones right. to evolve right. and to keep it interesting yeah. and, and fun. Yeah. It needs to feel scary. We got plenty of that. We got plenty of that going on right now. You know? For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I can dig that. I I and I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, you know. Um and uh I'm just I'm I'm glad that we are at this place now. I'm glad like whatever it took to get here this is pretty cool. It, even though it's like very, you know, sort of scary and all that. It's yeah. it's very cool because you know, I've been putting out records for a while now and uh and and also now much more well versed at like putting out records at all levels you know so it's like Mm -hmm. the total as grassroots as you can get level Mm -hmm. to like you know the else you know corporate level it's i'm fairly well versed in in both of those kinds of scenarios and and i I do my best to apply all of that knowledge to the current situation with this new record. And so it's, it's pretty cool, pretty cool to have gotten to this place 
rocky road that it was. <laughs> How? Tell me about Egypt. It was just amazing, life changing, life changing, life changing. I you, I, you I, did uh, archaeology in Egypt or something. Like I that? just I I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, wouldn't put myself on that level at all. Now I went I went with the I went with a study group uh, to to Egypt uh, in 1998. Oh, okay. And I brought my sister with me because I was just like I have a feeling this is going to be pretty life changing. We gotta go. And um, a professor at Georgia State, uh, Asa Hilliard, who was actually a psychology professor by trade, but his real passion and interest was the study of ancient Kemet, Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he, I suppose he didn't want to muddy the professional waters with his real passion, kind of like what I felt like with music and going to school for music. It was sort of like, no, this is going to be the thing that I do on my own time, and mm-hmm. I don't want any kind of regulation or any potential problems with anything. Uh, so this is what he pursued on his own time, and it was um, he was one of the... He, he was at the forefront of kind of re... sort of changing the way that a lot of the conventional thought around what happened there and who did it and and for what reason like he was he was a, one of the thinkers at the forefront of 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 recontextualizing all of that um he and Dr. Ben Yakiman and Sheikh Anta Diop and there was a small group of these intellectuals that were a real really important in that and so it was an honor to get to meet him let alone travel there with him and Mm -hmm. and um we were up at you know 4 a.m every day and we were out at the sites by six and we were and it was great because he had you know a lot of connections and so if you go to the certain museum or whatever that's great in and of itself but Asa's got the hookup to get you into the basement where they got the stuff that's not even on public display right now because they have to rotate these things mm-hmm. for preservation purposes. Um, and, you know, he was, I mean, I got to go inside the pyramids of Giza. I got to, there was all kinds of stuff that happened that was just amazing. And um, so, yeah, I would just characterize that that trip as life-changing because, you know, for a number of reasons. Again, you know, we grow up here in America with uh, very, very limited knowledge of history. Mm-hmm. Very, very limited. And if you're a person of color in this country, it's like you you got to work even harder to get some sense of what you are and what you were and where you come from and what happened. And the African people that created all those monuments over there and they were doing something that was meant to last forever. They were thinking timeless. They were thinking eternity. They were, they were thinking about their relationship to the stars. Mm-hmm. They felt like every person corresponds to a star mm-hmm. in the sky. They were thinking celestially. They were thinking as hugely as you could and they had all this stuff mapped out that we're still figuring out how they did it. They were advanced. It was just thousands of years of studying and studying. And, and I will say, even in 1998, when it got dark there, it was a dark like we don't experience in most places in this country. 
and you are able to get a visual on the sky that is so much more vivid. So I can imagine 10, 15, 20,000 years ago what it must have been like with no electricity and these guys just, they're dedicating, the priests there, they dedicated their whole lives to just, we're going to, like one task, we're going to map the stars. Mm-hmm. We're going to map them. We're going to record it over time so that we have a celestial map of how things move, how we move in relationship to that stuff. And they did it. And it's like, and that's just one of many things. We're going we're gonna to figure out, uh, you know, architecture. <laughs> we're going to figure out, you know, uh, medicine and surgeries. And, you know, just it was an amazing achievement. And it happened south of Egypt and was basically sort of brought what they call up south. So what's now Sudan, that whole area there. And it was just migrated upwards to be nearer the water because of military, um, you know, tactical purposes. It's like we can maybe protect ourselves better here and build a kingdom here. And it was just amazing what, what, what went on there and how long it went on. And a lot of that stuff is so much older than it's been dated uh, uh, in terms of common knowledge, you know, what the dating is and mm-hmm. fascinating. So it was just a, just a great thing to do all the way around and I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, it's a, I've heard it said like that it's like evidence that we're living in a simulation. <laughs> you know, because they can't explain it. Well, I will say, you know, I, I saw there's, a, for instance, there's a monument at Abu Simbel that Ramses II is credited with building. Of course, Ramses used to sometimes put his name on things he didn't build and take credit for things. But there's this amazing monument, and I believe he did build this one because the, the likeness of him, his wife, it, it forms the entranceway. And we're talking about a gigantic structure they're cut right into the side of the mountain, the likenesses of, of, of them. And you walk sort of in between their ankles to get into the temple. And when you get in there, it opens up into this room of, of what were uh, amazing displays of, you know, paintings and so on and, and miniatures of the statues, uh, that the, the likenesses that form the entrance, and probably a lot of other things that we'll never know about. But this whole place would have been gilded in gold solid gold and then when you get to the back there is the exact reproduction of the the likenesses in the entryway in miniature in solid gold and when it was built Ramses had it built so that only on his coronation day and on his birthday one of which was in February and one of which was in October I believe and I can't remember which was which right now but they only on those two days, the sun goes all the way, shines all the way into the cave structure That's and sick. lights up the entire place, all the way to the back. That's and so Hollywood stuff. You know what I mean? So and, and, it's a and simulation, man. So when they when, so the Nile started flooding this place, uh-huh. and over years and years it would flood it and damage things. So they decided to move the entire structure up the up the mountain some, up the rock face. So they carved it out, moved it up so it was safe from the Nile's flooding. They could not, for the life of them, modern architects with all of our advancement, could not figure out how to get that place to light up on those two days. They just mm. couldn't get it together. So now it lights up like most of the way. <laughs> like not doesn't get all the way to the back That's like it wild. did back in the day. Yeah, I mean, incredible stuff. I saw Ramses II's mummy, which was not on display at the time. I got to go down in the basement and see it. 
got I saw Nefertari. Uh, Ramses looked like my grandfather on my mother's side. Right. <laughs> Nefertari and all the other ladies I saw, they looked like my nana. They looked like my aunts. They looked, you know, even had Family. the hair braided the same way and everything. Yeah. It was just like, here we go, man. You know, I grew up with <laughs> a criminal lack of awareness and knowledge of myself, my folks, my heritage, my everything. And of course, uh, th that was by design. It, it, that was that was how it was configured. You were supposed to have no none of that, and it worked. And so, to get it as a an adult, you know, as relatively young adult, uh, I was like thirty years old when I went to Egypt. Better late than never. Meaning you were left unaware that you come from some form of royalty. Or just that your people, people that look like you, achieve these amazing, right. amazing things that thousands of years from then we're still trying to figure out yeah. what in the world happened, what in the world, like, oh my God, how do they do it? We still can't figure it out, oh my God. And here, <laughs> I don't even want to go down that road because I'll get mad. It's like you're taught nothing, and what you're taught is nothing. Right. It's insulting. Yeah. Like I said, it's criminal. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Criminal. You taught nothing. Yeah. Well, it's the challenge of educating yourself. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and also not only not only does that is that the case, but then, you know, what what society does is like, you know, there's so many booby traps. Yeah. You know? Oh my god. And there's some and then talk about the demons playing racquetball oh in your head yeah. too. Yeah. But between it all, it's like all designed to get you in it. <laughs> Well, it's all designed to, you know, it, it, at its, if you look at it in a positive way, it's designed to, like, you know, sort of strength, challenge you. strengthen and challenge, challenge. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, you know, you've done a good job, my friend. I'm doing my best, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing the podcast. Oh, man, man it's really. been an honor. You, Thank uh, you have any, any, any <laughs> questions? I, I have a hole in the timeline that I'm curious about. In 2002, mm -hmm. when Jerry was doing solo and you guys were playing with him, that's mm -hmm. when Lane passed away. Right. And by the way you described your band and your ferocity, and mm -hmm. so when Jerry asked you, hey, do you want to join, was the band, was Come With The Fall over? Like, that's like, why would you want to leave it? Yeah. That's well, a good question. Well, the thing is, at the time that I was asked, it was like, we have a few shows booked. So there was no grand plan of this is going to be, we're going to be sitting here 13 years later, you know, having done three albums and all these world tours. What it was mm -hmm. at the time, it Feeling. was proposed as, well, it was proposed as we want to kind of do a victory lap. We want to just celebrate the, the music that we did. And um, so there was this feeling that I could do justice to that, serve that, that whole objective we could go out and we could do something it was going to be like we got a few shows booked we got to do this vh1 thing to start with and then you know and then it's just kind of like whatever you know what i mean maybe we'll work for 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 most of this year or something like that 2006 it might be like you know like the way it was put to me like you know you won't have to worry about rent for maybe you know this the the rest of this year or something nice. like that. Yeah. And like I said, I was in the red, 
like heavily in the red from the comes of the fall DVD that we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so I was like, okay, yeah, cool, cool, you know. Yeah. And um, so, and then it just took on a life of its own once we got out there on the road, of course. Yeah, which was always a possibility, but not something that we. Yeah, had any idea for sure it was going to happen. Yeah, so, you weren't angling for that. Not angling because yeah, no way could you angle. You like I said, there was so much noise going around about how dare they, blah, blah, all this stuff, and yeah. so yeah, we we just kind of went out there and did our thing, and then and and we saw very early on that we had our own thing. You know what I mean? Right. And we hit the stage. It was like, okay, this is serious because you got this guy that's been. You know, in, in myself, you got this guy that's been, you know, kind of at it for a while and, you know, done some stuff, but like, you know, like still had a lot of, a lot of stuff to work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff know, to prove. On stage and stuff. Yeah, to prove to myself and prove to the world and all that. So I really was just, Hungry. oh my God. I was just like, oh, I will stomp this fucking stage on the ground. And they were also kind of in this place like we weren't sure we would ever do this again and there's this whole like proving it you know to to themselves kind of thing and working out issues that go back a long way all this stuff Mm. we all we brought all that stuff Mm -hmm. and we just lit it off man and like we did it everywhere we went night after night and a lot of like four in a rows and five in rows and just stuff that you don't do when you're of a certain status, you know what I mean? We were kind of starting not from the beginning, but we were starting from way down on the totem pole and and having to uh, prove it to ourselves and to everybody else night after night. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. So it wasn't like this conscious thing of like, I'm now going to. And in fact, while we were touring that first year, that was when I was... Um, writing recording finishing the beyond the last light album from comes of the fall and the reckoning ep which was recorded at the same time at bakos's mm. so all of that was happening concurrently you know and put out beyond the last light in 2007 and uh put out the reckoning ep in 2006 so as we we're touring i put out the reckoning right. ep so it wasn't the end of the band year. yet no and and you know honestly it's like I don't know if that band has an end. If it does, right. we haven't reached it yet because we're, we're all still, still together. here. We're just all still alive. And, and it's yeah. like, you don't know what the future holds. But as of right now, everybody's kind of into their own thing, you know. What was Bako saying about you uh, joining Alice in Chains? Was he psyched for you? I don't even know. I mean, or did you ever even about talk it about much. it? Maybe we did. You know, I was more focused at the task at hand at the time. Yeah. I was writing a lot of the lyrics to the songs on the Reckoning EP and Beyond the Last Light in the studio. So there was a lot of like just channeling everything that was happening. Right. Um, and that kind of making its way on the record. So he would go into the little room he had with a little television and, and I'd just be in there <laughs> scribbling and like, okay, I got it. And then we'd lay it down. And yeah. so there was a lot of that stuff and, and uh, exploring guitar overdubs and things like that. So we didn't really have a lot of time to go over you know oh you know alice blah 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 i love those harmonies in alice in chains that it's like harmonies all the time yeah you know, that's a unique yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty it's unique yeah how's that singing in that sort of harmony way it's for, really it's for cool, whole song man. you love it it's cool i mean it's it's like a yeah you develop a real appreciation for it because i didn't really grow up with that yeah and um a lot of my music 
is not so centered on that. And so it's been a cool thing to uh, explore. Like, <laughs> Cantrell and I try to get it to where it's almost like we're one person. Like, you can't tell who is who sometimes. Right. So to get that kind of fusion, the meticulousness of recording that is that's a hell of a thing you know i mean I, I mean like vowel sounds are exact you know what i mean like endings of phrases and words are exact mm -hmm. the the way you hit the s and all you know i mean it's it's kind of you know from my way of producing records it's quite different our the, the recording process of Allison Chains is a thousand times longer than any record I've made outside of that group. The process itself is a way more like like seasons are passing and mm -hmm. like things are you know like Meticulous. presidents are changing and people <laughs> because are, of Jerry people are being born and dying <laughs> you know, like like mm -hmm. families are changing and no it's just because of the it's what the music calls for requires i guess yeah. and it's what this particular group of people require in order to work together it's like it's a just a different thing and so mm -hmm. um there's so much more that goes into it there's also i don't know it's just it's just different on every level but the point is that when it comes to the vocalizing and getting those harmonies like part of it is the meticulousness that you that you have to approach it with and 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 getting it to a place where it's like, whoa, like that really just sounds like one being. Like mm -hmm. sometimes we can't even tell who did what. Right. And it's at that point, it's kind of like, well, okay, I guess mission accomplished then, you know? So um, it's a trademark, you know? Yeah, it's, for sure. It's cool. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's definitely a sonic signature. And it's badass sounding. It is, man. Is, it's, yeah. it's cool to have like, um, I don't know. It's like, like, I don't know. It, it, I was gonna say it's almost like those vocal bands, like the Mamas and the Papas or the Association or something, but set to the heavy music. Righteous Brothers. You they? know what I mean, right? Yeah. You know, especially with the dual thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and and and, but set to like this dark heavy music. It's it. It it's is unique. cool. It is cool. And and um, it it takes work, man. We take it real seriously and live. Same thing. Like people think all the time, oh, it just sounds so great. You must use tracks. We don't use one fucking track. We don't even. We wouldn't even know how to do that. Right. You know, it's just the four of us. That's all. Get a college kid with Ableton, man. That's all you need. Man. <laughs> we, we 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 you know. I'm so proud of the fact that we have not done that. Like, yeah. I'm doesn't so even proud. need to be in college. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> my my son could probably do it. You know what I mean? Like the mm. way he's coming up. But it's like no. It's, I'm so proud of the fact that it's just us. You just got yeah. these two guitars, these two voices, these, you know, bass and drums, and we do we do it all. Right. You know? So. What's next is you got this city winery tour coming up, and it's a national tour actually. National so it, it, tour. It even it even uh, goes past city winery. We're getting into, but yeah, the fall tour is mostly, mostly I guess city wineries with yeah. a few other places. And uh, how long are you gonna be touring for? This this first tour is just pretty quick. Um, we go from October twenty first in Atlanta till November third in Chicago. Oh, okay. Then I pick it back up next year and do some more out west. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And then is Alice in Chains recording anytime soon, or did y'all just finish, or what's going on? We just finished. Just a finished. Long so cycle. Yeah. We're not talking about we just that right now. A long <laughs> yeah. cycle. All right. New album out this Friday. This Friday. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Oh my God. Yeah, it's great. It's exciting though. It really is. New frontiers. Totally, man. You know. Totally. And we'll put the two songs you played at the end of the podcast for people to hear. Right on. Yeah. Right on, man. Cool. I hope they came out okay. I don't even know. <laughs> it's all a blur. If they it's came all, out okay, they'll be at the end of the podcast. It's all a blur now. I don't know. They were great. Cool, man. William, nice. If you say nice. so, then I believe it. Yeah, I do. It Thank was you. really great. Thank you, man. Great to meet you, man. You too, yeah. dude. Thank you, man. Seriously, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Give your socials or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm on Facebook, William Duvall Music. I'm on Instagram at William Duvall Official. And uh, Twitter at William Duvall. And uh, of course, my site, WilliamDuvall.com. That's where the action is. Word up. All right. I don't know if I'm supposed to be looking at that camera. Just it it doesn't matter. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> William Duvall Official. At William Duvall. <laughs> at William Duvall Official. William Duvall Music. And at William Duvall and WilliamDuvall.com. Cool. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thank you. Thanks, man. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.